Well, hello and welcome to this bonus track to the Braving the Stave podcast, where in the May edition we've been discussing the life of an orchestral musician. And I thought, well, whom better to ask than my good friend Sally Wynne Ryan, who's been playing with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra for a goodly while now and is such a good egg and I know would be brilliant for this kind of interview. So we didn't want to miss her perspective on orchestral life off. So here we are um, with Sally Wynne's take. And my first question to her was, are you happy? I I am happy as an orchestral musician. I I always wanted to be a member of an orchestra or at least be on the orchestral scene when I was growing up. That's that is what I wanted to do most, you know, first and foremost. So I am in the very wonderful Royal Philharmonic Orchestra and I've been a member there for 10 years. Um and I'm in the second violin section. That sounds a very friendly section to be in. It's a really friendly section to be in. I yeah, that absolutely sums it up. I love playing second violin actually. It wasn't I didn't sort of go out of my way to you know, it wasn't my sort of goal to be in a second violin section, but I did find myself over the years really loving those inner parts of the orchestra, the in those magical moments where you really feel like you're that the, the filling of the sandwich bit of a cliche there's a bit of a cliche people say that but I think it's true um and I I really love it I love the way that some some composers write so brilliantly for specifically for second violin sections and yeah we definitely have more fun we definitely have the most fun <laughs> of the orchestra kind of less pressure in a way I suppose than some of the the high wire stuff that the first have to do oh I don't I don't know John if that's true I um I mean perhaps yes you could say that first violinists are perhaps more exposed at times they have to really their geography of the instrument certainly has to be second to none and they have to zoom around like um prima donnas mm. um but i i think what we do is equally as challenging we have to we have to blend we have to listen to everything around us we're we're in a very key location in a symphony orchestra where we have to really respond to things going going on around us so it presents its own challenges in a very different way do you feel a special kinship with the other uh, filling of the sandwich, you know, the violas. Do you do, the seconds and violas? Do they belong together as a tribe? Do you think? Yeah. Yes. Maybe. Maybe. I think. Ooh, again, no. Very, I think not. No. I think we are very different sections, but um, it's cert- Yeah. Certainly, if we had to sort of put ourselves with another team, it would be with the violas. Um, yeah. I mean. We just have to, as I said, you just have to be aware of everything around you. And sometimes we play with the first, sometimes we play with the violas. So there's mm. a lot going on. It's very challenging, you know, being a second violin. You, you have to be very versatile. I can see that. Plenty of different roles and, uh, and so I suppose, hats to wear. Um, we, we've started talking about teams and tribes within the orchestra. Have you noticed there are, is there a kind of a tribal aspect to orchestral life? Do people sort of end up just in various different silos or do you end up um, making friends with trombonists even? Wow, wow, that'll be the day. Um, No, actually, we have a very friendly trombone section in the RPO. Um, We, I do think we're an incredibly sociable orchestra and I think we... um, there's some because we're a self-governing orchestra. I think there is something quite special about feeling that you're part of 
um, one entity and feeling that you're part of a team. We're all responsible for a little piece of the jigsaw. So I do, I think some orchestras can be more cliquey than others. Um, I'd like to think that we're we're not we're not really inclined to be like that. We all get on pretty well on the whole. So yeah, it's good. I I can testify to that. Now you and I have worked in in various different capacities, mainly in the sort of the educational or participation team. I remember one day when you dressed up as a Bond girl, and I I rather improbably was trying to be James Bond in a DJ. Um, <laughs> No, I think the music did the work for us. Well, for me, anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was I, a beautiful thing. I loved that project, John. Do you know, um, those of us that did that project, we still talk very fondly about us all trying to basically pretend that we were Adele and and scream out the lyrics of Skyfall. I'm sure you remember. And it was... I do. It, it, was, it was so much fun. I think that is something that... Um, that is such an important element to me. My, you know, I've got my life in the orchestra, but I love doing anything that's a bit unusual. I mean, that's why I'm I'm so involved with our wonderful communicate, um, sorry, community and education program called Resound, and we go up and down the country doing fabulous projects, and that's a really special thing for me. And yeah, that was that was a, a very memorable James Bond. James Bond. <laughs> I love the RPO Resound project and team so so dearly, and yes, share many fond memories of, of projects together. But um, so you just named one of the perks, if you like, of orchestral work, uh, particularly if you choose to involve yourself in the sort of community-facing side to what an orchestra does. Um, what are the other perks? Let's let's stay with the the positives. Well, I think I think now more than ever, actually, just having a little bit of job security. Um, I loved freelancing. I, I freelanced all over the place for about 15 years when I left college and I loved it so much. Um, but I think I love even more being part of something and and having that sense that whatever happens and I you know especially with the last few years just knowing that I I had some little bit of security in my life was so brilliant um and a team of people around you um with whom you can have this identity and this sort of yeah I mean it is a bit like a family and that's that's a really special thing you go through a lot together is the flip side to that that uh, for a lot of UK orchestral musicians that the salary or the amount of work isn't enough necessarily to sustain a full-time role? So many people find themselves doing teaching or other uh, ancillary jobs. I don't know. Well, I seem to remember that for you, you're very much full-time RPO, although you've also fitted in various other roles with Classic FM and, and things alongside. Yeah, yeah, that's right, John. I I spent a long time working for Classic FM. I had a lovely job there doing, um, it was very part-time. I was very lucky to have a flexible role there doing part-time music production, which was scheduling shows and um, being involved with presenters, etc. And I, I really loved that. And I was quite sad that it finally got to a point where I couldn't quite fit that in um I couldn't really do the job to the best of my ability with my orchestral commitments um but yes that was definitely a sort of little sideline and yes as you say people do a lot of teaching um I still do quite a lot of freelance stuff outside of the RPO um 
I think I think it's really challenging. It certainly is financially at the moment. I think people are finding it difficult, as you say, especially living in London. You know, it's astronomically expensive everywhere. And I think we we do work very hard. We work very long hours. We work we do work a lot for our money. Mm. Um and yeah, you have to sort of put in the hours elsewhere when and if you can just to boost that income. That's I think that's never going to change for professional musicians. So that is a potential uh, downside the the sheer amount of hard work that any orchestral musician has to put in not just uh, on the job but around the job and in terms of the preparation and practice and all the other things that go uh, less seen perhaps what what are the other drawbacks for you um drawbacks is quite an interesting word because i suppose I suppose it can be a little bit of an anti so it can, it can be the most social job in the world but also the most antisocial job in some ways you know the the hours can be difficult and I think when I'm the most tired it's because I've been sort of schlepping around London or the UK and physically carrying a lot of things and you've got your suitcase and your violin case and I I find I think the older I get I find that more draining than actually sitting on stage and doing the job that's almost that that's almost the easier part in a way um i mean just just last week we had a really really busy week with the rpo and we were we were in a different place every day um and then we were we were in hull one evening doing a wonderful concert in hull and then we stayed overnight and then we had to travel to reading the next day to do a concert in reading so you know opposite ends of the country and and that's really tiring um you know, and of course we try and squeeze in a few socials in between. So we probably don't do ourselves any favours. <laughs> I, 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 I can imagine that's the case, Sally Wind. I can imagine there's a <laughs> squeezing of social stuff in between, um, particularly Crucial. the RPO. It's a very sociable group, as you say. I mean, you mentioned the travel there. Um, and I guess coming back to the positives, you get the tours, don't you, which are now on, thankfully, post-pandemic. I know it's it's so exciting. Um, the first tour we did post pandemic was an amazing trip to the states, and we couldn't quite believe that it was happening, but it did. And you know, all credit to our incredible management and everyone that pulled it together. And um, you know, we had this amazing tour with a ten day residency in Orlando, and it, it was just extraordinary. Um, but it was definitely tinged with um, the sort of aftermath of COVID. We were still very much testing every day and all the rest of it. Um, but now we, we're back. We are, just feel like we're back to normal as much as anyone can say that. And we've just had a lovely trip to Spain a few weeks ago. And next week we're off to Japan um, for the best wow. part of two weeks. Yeah. So that's really exciting. That's the, it'll be the so first. Envious. Yeah. I'm so envious. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can't wait. We've got, um, it's a really lovely tour lined up with lots of concerts in Tokyo and surrounding areas. Um, and we're actually staying in the same hotel in Tokyo for several days, which which is a real bonus because often we're sort of racing around the country, going to different hotels every night. So this is quite a luxury for us. So I think everyone's very excited. And Japanese audiences uh, are famed for their enthusiastic reception, aren't they? Yeah, hopefully we'll we'll have to see. But yeah, so we're all <laughs> sure all look all looking forward to that. Um, 
that starts that starts next week and this week actually we're doing um we've just today been rec- uh, rehearsing Symphonie Fantastique by Berlioz um that's for a concert in a couple of days so yeah it's quite busy lots of lots of good rep talking of rep there must be pieces that you particularly look forward to as well as those that perhaps you don't um I suppose one feature of being an orchestral musician is that you get to play certain pieces a heck of a lot um, and that must try your patience at times. But is there, I suppose this is my final question, is there a piece that regardless of how many times you have to perform it, you're happy playing? Um, yeah, I, I've, I've been thinking about this question a little bit because I think my answer is probably quite selfish because as you say, it's it's just things that I like playing. But on the other hand, it's quite difficult when, when it's an interpretation or a conductor that you don't perhaps feel comfortable with. But I think my answer personally is I just love playing Mahler symphonies. Just going back, mm-hmm. back to what I said earlier, actually, Mahler's an example of a composer that writes so well for the second violin. His second violin parts are absolutely brilliant. Um, We've done quite a few Mahler symphonies in the last few years. Um, it's been really thrilling. And yeah, I think Mahler is a, for me, I never tire of playing it. But I think also the other piece I was going to say was the Rite of Spring, because I think that would probably be a catastrophe with a conductor that wasn't very good. However, for for me personally, it's always a challenge. It's always exciting. I just love that piece so much. So I think Mahler or, or Stravinsky, yeah, never get bored of those. Well, you've given us plenty of choice uh, now for which excerpt we can uh, play. But thank you so much, Sally Wynn, for, for joining me. And uh, good luck with Japan. Thank you. It's a pleasure. 